Hi, I'm Ryan Miner, the host of a Minor Detail podcast. This year, a Minor Detail podcast turns five years old. We've come a long way since January 2015. With your support, the show will continue to reach thousands of Marylanders each week, delivering fresh and easy-to-digest content on all things Maryland politics and news. To show some birthday love and support, pick up your smartphone now and visit iTunes, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, or wherever you download or stream your podcast and click subscribe to a minor detail podcast. If you are interested in sponsoring a podcast episode for a small investment or running an ad on an upcoming show, email me at ryan at aminordetail.com. Find us on the web at aminordetailpodcast.com and be sure to like us on Facebook and Twitter. On Sunday, January the 19th, I spoke with Baltimore City mayoral candidate Theru Vignaraja about his mayoral campaign in his policy platform. Here's our conversation. Tonight I have with me Theru Vignaraja. He is running for the mayor of Baltimore City. And just this past week, Theru Vignaraja had two monumental things come out that were overwhelmingly positive for him. First was his campaign finance report, and he's going to talk about that. And then secondly was a new Gonzalez poll that showed that this is the guy to beat in the mayoral race in Baltimore City, which is, by the way, the most watched race in the state of Maryland, maybe maybe in the country. Through Vignaraja, thanks so much for coming on a Minor Detail Podcast. Welcome. Ryan, great to be on. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks so much for paying attention to this critically important race. It's important. It's the marquee race of Maryland in 2020. We just finished, of course, two years ago, a gubernatorial race, but all eyes are on Baltimore City. Baltimore City has been in the news in the last several months uh, some things not so good, but you are running, and just this past week, a Gonzalez poll has come out that said you are tied for the lead in this mayoral race, and what do you want to say about that? What's your thoughts on this poll? You know, look, uh, polls rise and fall. We know, we know that, but this is clear evidence that the people of Baltimore are demanding change. This is clear evidence that our message focusing on crime and corruption, which have been defining challenges uh, for Baltimore for a generation, are resonating. And it's a clear message that people want change. Uh, the, the, the kind of concrete solutions that we've been putting out on a range of subjects on how to cut taxes in half, how to cut murders to below 200, how to restart our economy, how to re, uh, imagine our public schools. Those concrete solutions, rather than sound bites and platitudes, are, are, are getting people's attention. Um, so it's, it's a source of great encouragement for the campaign. The team has been working so hard. I think we've run a really disciplined, focused race. And it's starting to to, to yield dividends. I, I I honestly, when you started out, there's some obviously big name candidates that jumped in. Of course, you ran for public office two years ago uh, in the the Baltimore City State's Attorney's Office. You went up to, against some some heavy hitters, Marilyn Mosby, namely. Yeah. And then you decided to run for Baltimore City Mayor. Y- you you have a point in that. You are running, I think, from from a journalist perspective, from the other side of the aisle, watching it from head on. Theroux, you and your campaign have run an incredibly disciplined message campaign. I've I've not 
seen anything quite so productive in campaign-wise. I mean, you could be essentially running for governor with the way that you have run your operation, the way that you have stuck to a message. You have communicated with the press. I said it in a piece yesterday that I wrote on a minordetail.com that you are every reporter's dream candidate. You avail yourself to the press. You talk to them. You give us these constant and informative updates that break down complex data. And I'm telling you, man, you've got something that is happening. Maybe it's magic. Maybe it's just good old-fashioned hard work and ingenuity and some shoe leather express. But I see you out and about everywhere. You're all over the city. You're talking to thousands of people. And what's what's happening on the streets of Baltimore? What's happening yeah. in these neighborhoods? What are you hearing from people? What are these issues that are defining this race? Look, it's a it's an incredibly kind uh sentiment you're sharing and it's really a tribute to the team there is no team uh in baltimore in maryland maybe anywhere that's going to work harder than us there is no team that is going to take more seriously our commitment to a positive campaign of ideas and you're right when we put out press releases when we put out statements when we put out solutions we try to provide the data we try to provide the context we try to explain it in terms that folks can understand and we try to explain it in a way that isn't patronizing. I, I, you know, I oftentimes say to the team, part of our job is to go out there and get people excited about this campaign. Part of our job is to explain why this campaign is so different than others. And I hope this never changes about me or this campaign, whether it's me running against the machine, whether it's me running for re-election. I hope to always be as accessible to the people of Baltimore and to the media of Baltimore, because you guys have a critical job to do, which is to make sure that we are answering questions and getting a chance to address the defining challenges of Baltimore. And that's what I'm hearing. You know, you go out to any part of Baltimore and what they're frustrated with is twofold. Number one, they don't trust politicians. They think politicians say one thing and do another. And they've got one example after another of that. Number two, Politicians don't tend, at least in Baltimore in recent vintage, to actually deliver solutions. Uh, they talk about who to blame. They deflect responsibility themselves. They say that the judgment or the decision is supposed to be a hard one, whether it's aerial surveillance or how to fix the schools or what to do about the water bills, is somebody else's fault, somebody else's responsibility. But they very rarely say, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's what I'm going to do about that. And we are as fed up with those kinds of dynamics as the people of Baltimore are, and we refuse to allow this culture of low expectations to persist any longer. Well, um, you're right, and there is a culture of ex of low expectations. Just this past year, or last year, the former Baltimore City Mayor resigned in disgrace, and she's going to soon be a guest of the government. And by that, I mean she's going to go to jail for yeah, yeah. some massive corruption issues. Theroux, you hit that hard when you were running. You talked about it. You you called on her to resign. Uh, of course, the governor called on her to resign. I mean, per virtually every public official at one point called on Catherine Pugh to step down. But, man, it's so disappointing after the uh, – the when Catherine Pugh came into office, we had high expectations. We wanted to see pivotal change. We wanted the crime to reduce after the Freddie Gray 
uh, catastrophe that happened in the city. We thought that we were going to turn over a new leaf. Come to find out, the mayor is taking kickbacks from this Healthy Holly scandal. And it was embarrassing for the city nationwide. Yep. People looked at Baltimore City that, I mean, you grew up right outside of it in, in Baltimore yeah. County. You know the city. Um, you know it well. I grew up in Hagerstown, but Baltimore City is everything to us Marylanders. And here we are being embarrassed on the national scene by Pew, who's getting kickbacks, and then one official after the other. What the heck is going on with this corruption stuff, Through, I mean, part of why this is such a national tragedy is because Baltimore has so much going for it. I don't know that there's another city in America, maybe no city in the world, that has a bigger distance between where we are and where we could be. You know, you're talking about a city that's got the westernmost deepwater port on the eastern seaboard, an international airport, two amazing sports franchises, this rich history and affluent suburb, a location between the political and financial capitals of the world. I mean, we have assets that other cities would would die for. And yet we have successfully squandered them over the course of a generation. And what I think makes this such a national tragedy is that we have this defining headline of crime, of carjackings, of shootings, of murders, punctuated from time to time by a nationally embarrassing corruption scandal. How many cities has had two police commissioners and two mayors in our memory indicted and convicted of crimes? I, I mean, I can't think of another one. And if you want to understand how it is that you take a city with such fundamental assets and you allow it to become the only city in America that this year will be smaller in 2020 than we were in 1920 and still losing population, that's your explanation. The deficit of leadership is profound and it is everywhere. I Look, I, I devoted my life, my life to public service as a prosecutor. I was a federal prosecutor. I was a city prosecutor. I was deputy attorney general of Maryland. I focused on fighting crime. When I first got myself into this political world and started uh, meeting the folks that are there. Look, they're people of good faith, but so many of them have never had another job. So many of them have never tried to tackle a problem of this kind of magnitude. They've never taken something from concept to execution. They've never balanced a budget. They've never been expected to hire and fire and recruit and retain people. Those kinds of deficits add up. And if it's one agency one year, it's one thing. If it's every agency over the course of decades, you see the tragedy that is unfolding in Baltimore. And you're right. We hit it hard. We said crime is going to be our top priority. Corruption is going to be right behind it. We have to change this narrative around violent crime in Baltimore. We need to root out the corruption from top to bottom. You know what I like is when I can visit a candidate's website and you can clearly read a summary of their issues, their positions. And if you check out Thiru, that's T-H-I-R-U-2020.com, click on the vision page of your website. You have a blueprint for Baltimore. And you said, and you write, we have a city suffering from violence, addiction, and a declining population without enough experienced leaders in City Hall to make a difference. And then you list your, your issues pretty 
clear. You articulate that you want to focus on ending the bloodshed, rooting out corruption, fixing public schools, revitalizing the economy, reducing property taxes, rebuilding neighborhoods, restoring integrity, safeguarding LGBTQ rights, legalizing marijuana, protecting our children. I mean, think about it. In a major city as Baltimore is, that pretty much covers it, and crime is on the tip-top of everybody's mind. Just yesterday, yesterday, a stunning video surfaced online, and then that was reported by multiple media outlets in Baltimore City, and it's making its way all over the internet. Through you have seen a city police officer, a city sergeant, being kicked and beaten and, and just prevented from doing his job while trying to arrest somebody this this stuff just can't happen man what's yeah. happening you saw it it's devastating this uh it, it's it's incredibly disturbing and there's this culture of lawlessness that i think has been permitted to persist over the last few years you know it, it started with not being able to solve our murders right where we've got 300 plus murders year after year now in our sixth year and there's no reason to believe it's going to change um and we can't solve those at anything resembling a reasonable rate but of course it's not just murders it's shootings it's carjackings it's robberies the clearance rate for carjackings is reportedly three percent the clearance rate for robberies and burglaries is less than one percent um then you've got the things that send the signal that the city doesn't have anything under control from squeegee boys to potholes to our traffic system. Um, when nothing is working and the criminal element knows it, there suddenly is this signal sent that the police are the ones that are outnumbered. The police are the ones that are outgunned. And, and look, the corruption we have seen in the police department cannot be ignored. It cannot be brushed aside. The GTTF scandal is maybe the worst policing scandal yeah. in American history. It, I wish I'd prosecuted those guys myself. It's embarrassing. But, but the hundreds of other officers, thousands of officers that kiss their children goodbye in the morning and come in one of the most dangerous cities in America, if not the most dangerous city in America, at a time when it is fashionable to criticize law enforcement and put on a badge and 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 make sure they get home uh, uh, after a long day's work, they ought to be thanked. Uh, that's not to say that police officers uh, are above the law. It's actually anything but. We have to hold them accountable just as we would hold criminals accountable it, it, with criminal prosecutions, with audits of their overtime, with all the kinds of things that every agency ought to be subject to. But sending the signal that we don't stand up for law enforcement is something that I think has plagued city leaders. I, look, I, I don't know why it's so hard. I was a prosecutor. Some of these folks are friends and colleagues. I've stood up in court and I've vouched for them, for their trustworthiness. Sometimes I've been disappointed uh, by police officers and seeing what they have done. Sometimes what they have done is criminal conduct yeah. that deserves to be prosecuted. But to allow this culture of lawlessness to persist uh, as a way to try to send a message, the pendulum has swung a little too far in the opposite direction. I very much believe, and this is important for me to emphasize, that we can have a safer Baltimore and a more just Baltimore, that we can reform the police department and honor the consent decree and reduce homicides and shootings and carjackings and gang cases, that we can 
you know, curb this gun violence epidemic and at the same time rebuild a society in the image and in the vision that I think all of us want to be proud of. If you're just tuning in now, I am live with Aruvik Naraja. He's a candidate for Baltimore City Mayor, and we're talking about some of the crime-related issues inside of one of, I believe, America's greatest cities, Baltimore City. He's been running for mayor through. You've been running for mayor almost a year now, right? Yeah, we sure have. You know, we, we announced early and, and you know, uh, Brian, you like talking about the dynamics of the politics. I, I want do. to sort of dive into this for just a second. Please. You know, we knew we were taking on some well-known uh, career politicians whose name recognition was 100 percent. Their records were nothing that uh, I would want to defend, but everybody knows them. And they've spent their careers uh, uh, you know, shaking hands and being at ribbon cuttings, um, not accomplishing the kind of things that I'd like to see our city leaders do, but being politicians. And I knew that we needed a long runway to make sure that people got a chance uh, to meet me so that we could introduce ourselves as something different. And in so many ways, the campaign has been an effort to reflect not just higher expectations for what Baltimore can be, but a real departure from business as usual. You know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I'm a proud Democrat. But we brought Doug Mayer, uh, a, a Republican operative who's worked for uh, Republican governors. Why? Because I want to make sure that we are getting as many people energized and focused on the challenges of Baltimore as possible. And if there's a great uh, uh, person who can help our campaign, I don't really care about uh, you know, partisan politics. This has got to be a moment that transcends that. In terms of how we've raised money, hmm. you know, we haven't knocked on the doors of traditional, uh, you know, power brokers in Baltimore. Why? Because all of those dollars come with strings. Um, and I didn't want to have any strings coming into this job. I've told folks that I'm not going to only end the pay to play culture in Baltimore, which is you got to pay some money to have an option to get a permit from the mayor. I'm also going to end the retaliatory culture. There's lots of folks that don't feel like you can donate to our campaign because they think that the current leadership will retaliate against them. And I've told them very clearly, I appreciate your perspective. I'm disappointed that you can't support our campaign right now. But make sure you know something, which is when we prevail, if you come knocking on our door, our door is just as open to you, someone who not only didn't donate to us, but to donate to someone else, as it is to one of our biggest donors that did donate to us. Why? Because somebody's got to come along and break the wheel. We've raised a million dollars. We're incredibly proud of that. We're perhaps even more proud of the fact that we've done it without lobbyist money, without PAC money, without a dollar from the cash bail industry. And no donor that has ever given a cent to this campaign is under the belief that they're going to get anything besides good, transparent government for me. Not one deal, not one backroom negotiation, not one extra uh, dose of influence. I make that crystal clear because we're trying to do something so different than what has defined Baltimore for too long. Do you see in Maryland that our politics, our system of government for many, many years has been run by a machine mentality? Uh, unfortunately, yes. And I don't know. The only reason I paused there for a second is I don't know that I knew that before I entered this particular world. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're a prosecutor. I was, you know, nose to my the grindstone, you know, uh, bringing important cases in federal and city court. I don't think I realized how many people 
uh, are part of that web? How many people have the expectation that as long as they know someone, the deal gets done? As long as they donate to someone, the deal goes a little bit smoother. And by the way, if they don't know someone, if they haven't donated, the bureaucratic red tape looks impossible to navigate. One of the reasons why I think small businesses, big businesses have such a tough time navigating the Baltimore landscape is because there's all of this incredible inefficiency and bureaucratic red tape. Well, that red tape is there in part because career politicians benefit from being able to offer a chance to cut it. If there's no inefficiency, there's nothing to negotiate away to their to their donors. And it's 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 been hard to watch to see the kind of um, corruption, to see the kind of you scratch my back, I scratch yours culture, to see the kind of mistrust in government and city leaders, everything from councilmanic courtesy, the (laughs) idea that you'll vote for my stuff because I'll vote for yours, to in order for a permit to happen, we first go and reference the donation list to see if you donated to the campaign. These kind of things are real. I've heard about them from too many people, and we got to just put an end to them because it's one of the reasons why things are so broken in Baltimore. Well, listen, from one disruptor to another, my hat is off to you that people are waking up and understanding how this machine works. There's a Baltimore machine. There is a Annapolis political machine that I talk about all the time. People think I'm nuts when I mention this. They're saying, Ryan, it doesn't really exist. You just, you know, you're just looking at this as because you're upset with the current political system. No, it really does. I, it, yeah. we, we see it with members, even of the press, that they're too afraid to report on a story because they're afraid that they will be limited in their access to Uh, the high-level officials to certain committee chairmen or certain people in leadership. And I'm telling you what, you you keep hitting the pavement, and what's happening inside of these little political conclaves and in the side, the bubble of the the Baltimore and Annapolis machine is not what people are talking about on the streets. They don't care about the politics. They want their kids to have adequate schools. They want their kids Absolutely. to be safe. They want to be able to walk out and enjoy their neighborhoods without seeing blight. They want the endless corruption to stop, and they want their politicians to listen to them so you're out on the street you're knocking doors you're talking to hundreds of people and you're probably hearing a similar uh, a similar theme people aren't listening to us and so how do you respond to that what are you telling your uh, your potential voters yeah and and I and I think this is uh, an important occasion to emphasize that being politically principled, is not politically naive. I actually think that's what people want. You know, for the longest time, people said, well, Theroux seems like, you know, he's got some good ideas, but can he really win? And I always told the team, I said, look, if we run the kind of campaign that I know we're capable of, one that is focused on ideas, one that is knocking on doors and getting to know people, one that is introducing uh, our vision and our campaign to every corner of Baltimore, mark my word, at some point, we will get to a point where people go from saying, oh, this is a long shot outsider to suddenly saying, huh, this is a credible contender to a point where we are suddenly conceived of and treated as one of the front runners. Now, look, we're running against a very, very powerful machine. I tell my team we're going to be running like we're 10 points behind the entire time. 
That's the attitude I want us to take to every debate, to every forum, to every community association meeting. But be clear, people are responding to this new vision. And when they say through, how are you going to you know, accomplish these things uh, given the, the challenges that, that exist out there? I say, look, we've seen it happen in other cities. Somebody comes along and says, I'm not here to advance my career. I don't want to be governor, Ryan. I don't want to run for Congress. That sounds like a hot mess down there. I just want to fix the problems of Baltimore. And I'm not doing this for the prestige. I'm not doing this for the salary. I'm doing this because I believe that this great American city is being squandered. It is being held down by this deficit of leadership. And when people hear the kinds of very simple things we can do to turn the city around, it's not rocket science. Cutting property taxes in half hmm. is not something that requires an economics PhD. It requires fiscal discipline. It requires you to do it not immediately and overnight because it accounts for 32% of our uh, of our operating budget, but consistently, systematically over the course of 10 years. When we talk about guaranteeing universal pre-k for three and four year olds or guaranteeing free college for graduates of baltimore city public high schools people say well through you can't afford that and then you walk through the math and you explain that we're talking about ten thousand dollars a kid and we only unfortunately send a thousand kids to college a year that's ten million dollars a year that's a fraction of our overtime budget for the police department uh when we talk about fighting crime and getting murders below 200 People say, well, Daru, that seems like an awfully ambitious goal. And I remind them that it was not that long ago that we had murders below 200. And we were not using mass incarceration or zero tolerance policies. We were being surgical and strategic. We were yeah. using wiretaps. We were doing the kinds of things that other cities have done. And so when I talk to folks and explain in just a couple of sentences the simplicity of what needs to be achieved, I think people get really excited, really excited. Why is it that people suspect that the incumbent mayor or a former mayor who's both running a city council president, a, a city council person, whatnot, is just is suddenly automatically just a shoe in? Is it that is that part of the machine culture that, OK, here's the incumbent. This is the guy that's going to win. Jack Young, he took over for Catherine Pugh, so therefore it's a it's an automatic shoe in but that's that's not necessarily what you've been finding out and you've you've not been hesitant to be critical in a respectful way of the current mayor's leadership what is lacking with his leadership in your opinion yeah i look i i i'm never going to you know throw punches below the belt but i am absolutely going to compare records and point out deficits sure. in, in our leaders and just as i expect People will do the same with me if I have the privilege of having a chance to lead. I think that's what leaders are expected to do. One of the things that I think really hurt our uh, current city leaders early in this race is they wouldn't show up to basic forums where they were expected to answer questions that were put to them by the public. And, and look, I, 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 I often said I wouldn't want to stand up on a stage and defend their records either, but that's literally their job. And their refusal to do that for a long time gave us a chance to remind people that this is what we have in power right now. People that aren't even willing to come to forums and answer questions. Now they're showing up. Now they've fallen behind in the polls. Now they've realized that this voice of 
clarion uh, 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 you know, honesty is actually getting traction. Now they're showing up because politically, one of their consultants said, oh, my goodness, Theroux is actually getting traction. You got to go to these debates. Well, that's great because we're going to show up at these debates. And what we say is this. I don't understand how these folks with a straight face ask you for another chance to lead when they have failed to lead over the course of not one term or two terms, but dozens of years. They've had their chance. They failed. I won't. And if there's one thing that distinguishes our campaign from a philosophical perspective from all the other campaigns, I always say leaders are supposed to take responsibility when things go well, but also take responsibility when things don't go well. If the murder rate doesn't fall on my watch, blame me. If the schools don't improve, if you don't see fundamental signature improvements in the performance of these children, blame me. If the water bills are not going out on time and the potholes are not being filled, blame me, because that's what leaders should want. You should want to say, that's the guy that said he would do something and he's not doing it. I'm holding him accountable. Instead, what we have is leaders that have been there for a long time. They want to stick around. They want to get reelected. So how do you try to make a claim to get reelected when things are going so badly? The only way to do it is to blame someone else. So that's what they do. And the power of incumbency, it's a real political strength. Oh, sure. Um, It's a real political strength. And that's why everybody thought, oh, Jack's got the advantage or Brandon's got the advantage or Sheila's got the advantage. Well, those are good advantages if things are going well. If things are going badly and people are demanding change, it's a terrible time to be an incumbent, and we are taking full advantage of that. How can Sheila Dixon run again? I mean, of course, she's eligible to do it, but in a city that is facing monumental corruption, I think there's an honest question out there that candidates should be asked, and that's Sheila Dixon is a former mayor who had to resign because of a scandal that cost her uh, it was cost her integrity and it gave her a criminal record herself. I mean, through is that a reasonable question to ask that how, how can this person run again when we're facing such a dramatic corruption problem in the city as we are now? Yeah, look over the over the course of a career. Um, every one of us, you know, we we do things that we're proud of. We we make sure. some missteps. I, I think my frustration with Sheila Dixon is not just that she had her chance. She betrayed the public trust. And part of her negotiation in order to avoid prison was giving up the mantle of being mayor. I mean, that was that was the deal. Um, and so in some respects, her coming back, I think, you know, offends the prosecutor in me because that's how she avoided prison. Um, I don't get that she gets to come back, but I actually have a bigger problem with 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 Miss Dixon, which is Sheila gives the impression that she was responsible for driving down crime. She wants to waltz back in and say, "Look, obviously Jack and Brandon don't know what they're doing. Um, I was there when crime was last down. Don't you remember that things were going so well?" And I think as soon as people remind the people of Baltimore that crime was going down before Sheila Dixon was uh, uh, became mayor, crime continued to go down after Sheila Dixon left being mayor. She was mayor 
for two years between the time she took over for Martin O'Malley when he became governor and the day she was indicted. And I don't know how you get to take credit for a downward trend in crime that came before you, lasted after you, and you were only there you know, as captain of the ship for two minutes, literally two years before you got indicted. And as soon as people start realizing that she takes an awful lot of credit for things that happened before her and after her, I think they're going to start realizing that this redemption story uh, that she so seeks is something she deserves in her family, in 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 her faith, uh, in her community. But at this moment, when Baltimore so desperately needs to turn the page and look forward, I think the last thing we need is to go back through what kind of mayor was Balt uh, was former governor Martin O'Malley. You know, I think there's something to be really applauded about what Martin O'Malley did. Uh, And then there are some things that I think we, in retrospect, look back and 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 are rightly troubled by. I think one of the things that I really appreciated about his his time as mayor is how focused he was on measurements of uh, of performance. Um, now, every agency, you can pick different metrics. Some of them can be easily manipulated. Some of them are less easily manipulated. So you got to pick the right metrics. But there was something that was a signature part of Martin O'Malley's contribution to Baltimore and to the state of Maryland was that he wanted to measure performance. He wanted to say, here's what we're looking for when it comes to the police department, when it comes to DPW, when it comes to the Department of Transportation, and we'd like to see how we're assessing ourselves. I find that very attractive. I find that very, very useful when you're running government. Um, now, he came at a time when crime was his signature approach, and the only approach that mayors knew back then was to lock everyone up. Mm-hmm. Rudy Giuliani had seen a 40% reduction in homicides in two years by pursuing a zero-tolerance uh, policy in, in New York City. And I think Martin O'Malley thought the same thing would happen here in Baltimore. The problem is that what Rudy did in New York really wasn't replicated successfully anywhere in America, and it didn't happen here in Baltimore. It had a small dent over a small period of time, but then ultimately the long-term uh, consequences of it were dire. And we now, thankfully, have a different playbook. We know that we can bring crime down even as we lower the number of arrests. We know that we can turn down the number of murders and shootings and carjackings with fewer arrests, with more focused uh, prosecutions of the violent repeat offenders and the gangs that are driving uh, uh, the challenges of these neighborhoods. So, look, there is there there are things that I think Martin O'Malley should be applauded for. But like any mayor, you know, his legacy is understandably mixed. Um, and, and I am sure that he is frustrated that, you know, the things that he adopted that were popular in Baltimore among everyone, among so many, are now being uh, reviewed through a different prism of history. Um, but such is life. And, and I think we learn from the good things that he did and we learn not to to repeat the mistakes that he and many, many others uh, made uh, in the early years of our fight against crime. Last week, Governor Hogan released his budget and he released a, a, a highlight. Uh, it's the Governor Hogan's accountability budget. He talks about violent crime and just a quote from his press release just last Saturday. 12 people were shot and five people were killed in Baltimore, said Governor Hogan. The number one concern of Marylanders is crime. Citizens are demanding more accountability for violent for the violent criminals who are shooting and killing people on the streets of Baltimore. Now, he has promised a series of uh, aid packages that would fund to reduce 
the the crime uh, a police aid to local governments in 74.4 million and i'm sure you've probably read the highlights through what do you make of this budget of course it would affect baltimore city in a magnanimous way yeah look um Baltimore needs a partner in Annapolis. Uh, the fact that we have Senator Ferguson now as uh, one of the critical leaders in Annapolis is going to be of immense help to Baltimore City. There's no question about it. Um, but we can't ignore the governor. Uh, you know, Governor Hogan, I don't think he hates Baltimore. I think he's probably very frustrated with how Baltimore leaders have spent money and prioritized things and failed to get things done, uh, you know, in the major city of his state. Um, and do I wish he, you know, had proposed some of these things earlier? Sure. But he's here. Uh, this is an all hands on deck moment. And I remember when he first announced about a month ago, uh, an extra effort on crime in Baltimore, I was frustrated by city politicians response. You know, so many of them were either silent or turned their back, you know, th- and, I, and I remember saying this is either city politicians being prideful refusing to admit that we have a problem and refusing the help that we need, or maybe even worse, uh, they're being political, that because it's an offer from a Republican governor, they're not willing to accept it and embrace it, uh, whereas they would have if it was a Democratic governor. I really hope that's not the case. But if our governor says, here are additional resources to fight crime, the defining challenge in your city in the fifth year of 300 plus murders, I would want to see every city leader and certainly the mayor, you know, being standing shoulder to shoulder at that press conference, thanking the governor and figuring out how we build on those partnerships. We just don't see that. Politics seems to get in the way. And and again, I think one of the reasons why our campaign has been such a breath of fresh air for so many uh, is that we're, we don't we don't think that way. We don't talk that way. We talk about concrete solutions, some of which are canonically Republican, cutting property taxes, you know, uh, hiring, you know, 600 more police officers that are diverse and local and professional and committed to Baltimore. Um, those are those are things that sometimes people think of as Republican ideas. Uh, universal pre-K, legalizing marijuana, becoming the first city in America to take that money and devote it to uh, educational purposes. Those are canonically liberal ideas. I don't particularly care about the labels. I care about concrete solutions that are going to work for Baltimore. But isn't that and, why? Isn't that why we get we get so hung up on? Oh well, because Baltimore City has been under Democratic control for so many years. Yes, but it's not because people are Democrats or in other places Republicans that have. Pro- it's just that policies aren't working. It's a cultural issue. There's a there's a corruption problem. We've said many times over in this in this show tonight. But yeah. I keep hearing this stuff. People get hung up on the politics. It has nothing to do with politics. Good policies are good policies, regardless of who the hell they come from. I couldn't agree more. And bad policies are bad policies. True. If you ask yourself, what has Jack Young or Brandon Scott or Sheila Dixon proposed or done in the last 5, 10 or 15 years that makes them confident that the next three years are going to be different than the last 10? I, I, I'd love to hear an answer. Um, it's not like these people had marginal roles in government. Jack Young was the council president for the past decade watching this national tragedy unfold, and he is now the mayor. 
Brandon Scott was the chair of public safety, for God's sakes, and he is now the council president. These folks had megaphones and policy uh, uh, power and have done nothing. I can't identify a single thing that they have contributed to the conversation except complain. And if you haven't done anything when you've gotten so much power, I don't understand why you would say, all I need is more power. All I need is power for a little bit longer. I, I just don't get it. I don't know how they can say it with a straight face. And I think the, uh, the people of Baltimore have been waiting for an alternative. Uh, you know, when I defend the votes of Baltimoreans in the past, part of it is I don't think there's been a clarion voice like ours in a long time. And I'm not, you know, patting ourselves on the back. You said, you know, we were running such a, a, a disciplined message campaign. I think what we have been doing is to say your biggest issues are our biggest issues. And instead of complaining about them, instead of telling you who to blame, I don't really care whose responsibility it was in the past. I'm telling you it's my responsibility going forward. And here's what we're going to do to fix it. That simple conceit has been very, very well received. Did you see this statement yesterday released by FOP spokesman, President Mike Mancuso? It was hard-hitting, man. It was pretty tough. Yeah, look, the, the, the dynamics between the FOP and the police department, between the police department and City Hall, between City Hall and the public, it's just become toxic. Everybody is frustrated with one another, and they spend most of their time, you know, exchanging barbs and insults. Um, I got I to gotta try to move beyond that. Um, I don't know who's right or wrong. I don't know who share, shoulders more of the blame. I just don't think the people of Baltimore care that much. Um, what I think they're looking for is to somebody to come along and say, here's a couple of things that we're going to do about it. Here's the timetable on which we're going to do it. And here's what you can expect um, uh, from me as leader. And and I think that's been I think that's been our approach to all of this. You have 20 features unique to ending the bloodshed. You have a plan listed on your website. That's through 2020.com. You write for the first time Baltimore will conduct simultaneous wiretap investigations targeting gangs and drug organizations in the city's 12 deadliest neighborhoods. Uh, for the first time, Baltimore will refer to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the automatic review of all carjackings, bank and commercial robberies, and felon in possession cases. And then um, I'm just reading a few points and yeah. the highlights. For the first time, Baltimore will drive the Baltimore Police Department recruitment by lifting arbitrary police eligibility restrictions, including the ban on permanent resident non-citizens and people who have used marijuana in the past three years. You want to hire 600, 600 new police officers. What is preventing people or what is deterring people from wanting to sign up for the BPD and strapping on the uniform and, you know, and going out and protecting and serving? What's, what's the holdup? Yeah, don't get me wrong. All across America, police departments are uh, facing the challenge of recruitment. That's a, that's a national challenge. But Baltimore has made it particularly hard. Uh, you can become a a uh, member of the Army uh, or the Navy, but you can't join the police department. You can go serve a tour in Iraq and come back and not be a member of the Baltimore Police Department. That's just ridiculous. And when we are down officers and we want people that are willing and excited to serve in this incredibly important role, we have to be a little bit more uh, rational about how we set up the strictures of, of, of this process. Um, but taking a step back, 
I mean, this is, a, this is a feature of our crime plan that I think we're really proud of. Uh, every candidate says the same thing. We're going to focus on violent repeat offenders. We're going to focus on gangs and gun violence. Right. We, of course, agree with all of those things. But I think the challenge for voters is what are the next 150 words? What are the next 1,500 words of how you take that aspiration and you translate it in something real? When we put out these 20 things, we noticed that they were 20 things that had never been done before that we were pledging to do on day one. We've done wiretaps before. We've never done 12 simultaneous wiretaps in the 12 deadliest neighborhoods. We've prosecuted burglaries before, but we've never used burglary prosecutions as a way to go after shooters and carjackers and killers. We've tried recruitment strategies before, but we've never gone to the 12 local colleges and universities and set up college cadet programs where we get 20 students each year from each of those schools. That kind of specificity is how you inspire confidence. And and, and look, I, I have. My, my family has lived the American dream. We were refugees from Sri Lanka. I, my mom taught at Pali back in 1970 before I was born. And she brought us back here with this twinkle in her eye about what was possible. And we went from local public schools, Edmondson Heights and Elementary School and Woodlawn High School, my sister and I both, to Yale for college. I went off to Harvard for law school. I was president of the Harvard Law Review. I clerked on the U.S. Supreme Court. I've gotten a chance to do some extraordinary things. But over the course of that career, I've learned a lot about how to get things done. Um, and when I was chief of major investigations and we brought murders to below 200, it was no accident. It was the product of partnerships and surgical strategies that we were working and refining and improving every day because we woke up in the morning and we went to bed at night realizing that the biggest problem in Baltimore was that people were being slaughtered on our streets and we were going to devote everything we could to tackle that problem. That's how I approached it as a prosecutor. Uh, that's how I'm going to approach it as mayor. If people are concerned and there there is a, a mentality in our country now where we've seen lots of disturbing videos of people, uh, especially men and women of color, being targeted by Police. I don't think that that's any news to anyone who's watched the news in the last five years. And people may say through has a great plan. But look, he's a former prosecutor and his approach is going to be, you know, uh, a go at it. All hands on deck, tough on crime. And that might give people pause, especially with respect to civil liberties. What would be your response to that through? Yeah, great question. Look, um, I, I hope that people of Baltimore are listening more carefully and not paying attention just to the labels. Um, when I was deputy attorney general, uh, I led uh, the issuance of the first guidelines in America on cracking down and discriminatory profiling by police. We were written up in the New York Times because of what we issued when I was deputy attorney general for the state of Maryland. Um, when I wrote my first piece about the aerial surveillance program, it was actually to condemn it as unconstitutional and then to explain what kind of safeguards and precautions we could put in place to make sure we were respectful of community privacy, of individual privacy, of constitutional rights. Um, we don't need mass incarceration or mandatory minimums. We've pledged not to take a dollar from the abominable cash bail industry, which I intend to abolish. Mm. They, folks need to listen to the details instead of just the labels, because labels are what politicians do. And I really hope the voters of Baltimore understand that there is nuance to our strategy. I'm going to reduce the number of homicides while we dramatically reduce the number of arrests. I'm going to bring down shootings and carjackings 
even as we spend less time prosecuting low-level frivolous offenses. I didn't take any pleasure in prosecuting murders, but I sure didn't waste any time prosecuting loitering and trespass cases. Um, What I have learned as a prosecutor is that focusing attention on violent repeat offenders requires us to not waste resources on petty offenses. And so this is not a return to the failure policies of the 1980s. We tried to lock everybody up. This is not zero tolerance. This is not mass incarceration. It's the exact opposite. It's actually focusing on the violent repeat offenders and getting them off the streets. But it does mean, and I think this is one distinction that I'm happy to embrace between our approach and the approaches of others. Um, We know that we have to overall approach this as a long-term public health challenge. But that doesn't mean you ignore the short-term concrete things you have to do. There are acute uh, challenges right now. The city is bleeding. And you have to stop the bleeding even as you start identifying the the source of the bleed and fixing that in the long term as well. You can't ignore one and do just the other. Um, We are seeing the consequences of that approach. and, And I think as long as people just take a minute to, to appreciate the details. No one's going to mistake this approach with the, the draconian policies of mass incarceration of other mayors in other towns. That's not me. That's not my campaign. That's never going to be how I'm going to be mayor. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a response that I think would assuage anyone concerned uh, with um, civil liberties. Look, you obviously someone who deeply respects that and you're, you're going to uh, govern the police office, the police force, uh, in a way that upholds those very basic civil liberties that we are entrusted to. Um, I, I'm interested in a little bit about education because, of course, we point to city schools as the the opposite of what we want our kids to go to. I think that's a fair uh, a, a fair characterization. City schools are. Uh, in dire need of improvements, of construction, of being rebuilt, and people always are lashing out at just the poor quality of education students are receiving in Baltimore City. Through what can we do to work with state leaders? What can you do to work with the governor to ensure that Baltimore City is not just having money thrown at it, but rather fixing these structural problems? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first thing I think we have to acknowledge is that the mayor of Baltimore has a pivotal role to play in this. I think for too long, mayors have said, well, you know, the school board is not really in our control. Well, the funding comes from Annapolis, so this is really a state issue. That, again, is another illustration of us abdicating responsibility for something that is quintessentially the responsibility of the mayor. Um, Early on, we pledged to become the first city in America that without federal or state approval would legalize and tax marijuana. Mm -hmm. Now, as a prosecutor, that's not the the most important thing to me, but it is an incredible source of revenue that we need for our schools. Um, Baltimore City and Montgomery County are the only two jurisdictions in the state that can have independent taxing authority mm-hmm. where we don't need enabling legislation from Annapolis to do this. And what that means is that I can start immediately in year one with a $250 million annual revenue stream. And the, the thing that we said as soon as we finished that first sentence was to say in our second breath, that that money would be earmarked exclusively for universal pre-K for three and four-year-olds, free to every student in Baltimore, 
free college for graduates of Baltimore City Public High Schools at any institution in the state of Maryland. That's community colleges, trade schools, public and private universities, an additional adult resource to support our teachers in the classrooms, whether it's a teacher's aide or a paraeducator or a trauma specialist or a social worker. Uh, my parents as city school teachers, I remember how hard they worked and they were working alone in these classrooms that had profound challenges. We need to provide them some support. And we also said we're going to earmark those resources for addressing the maintenance and repairs that right now come out of the principal's budget and growing the endowments of our HBCUs. Now, these are the kinds of things that would represent a sea change in how we approach the goal and function of schools in Baltimore City. Right now, these schools are something that you send your kids to if you can't afford to move to the county or you can't afford to send these kids, your kids to private schools. Right. Uh, I think that is a travesty. Yeah. We need to get families to feel comfortable that these schools are for everyone, that they are good enough and strong enough for everyone. And so, so much of why I put these specific policies in place is it's supposed to convince, you know, a dozen, two dozen families at each school to rethink whether they want to send their kids to school in Baltimore City. We have a, an all-time uh, enrollment uh, problem in Baltimore as well. It's a measure of what people think of our schools. We've got to change the narrative around them. And to your earlier point about you know, is through some firebrand prosecutor? I think just listening to all of the other ideas that we've put out there ought to make it clear that we have such a balanced approach to this. Uh, you know, these are ideas that our Democratic leaders in Baltimore City haven't done either. Why do we not have universal pre-K in 2019? Why don't we have free college for the kids from graduating from Dunbar and Douglas that so desperately want to go there but don't realize they can afford it? Um, none of these prerogatives of leadership have been pursued by Democratic leaders in Baltimore or by Republican leaders, you know, in the state by anyone. Um, and so one of the reasons, again, that I think people have been so responsive to our campaign is because we've uh, set aside the labels and focused on good ideas. And, and look, you're right, Ryan, you know, six months ago, I think a lot of people said, there's no way this guy's ever going to be taken seriously. We are now a front runner. We're leading in the polls. We raised twice as much money as every other mayoral candidate in Baltimore. We raised more money than any campaign in the state of Maryland this past year. And we did it because people are responding to what we hope is viewed as an epic historic campaign, one that is focused on ideas. We've been talking for almost an hour. Yeah. And I don't think I've said one crossword about the people that are there in power. That's just not my style. It's not what I, I think benefits uh, the people of Baltimore. We've talked an awful lot about ideas, haven't we? Mm -hmm. We've talked an awful lot about running a good, disciplined campaign. Because part of what I have to do is to show that I can lead a campaign just as I can lead a city. This is a management challenge. We have a $3.5 billion failing corporation that is in need of a turnaround CEO. And every one of these management challenges is different. I've had good days and bad days. Um, we've made mistakes, certainly on this campaign and in my previous campaign, but we've learned from them. And we are growing every day into a stronger and stronger campaign with more and more support financially, in field, in every corner of the city. Um, and I think we're going to shock a lot of people uh, in a few months. Um, we've got a lot of work to do. We're not taking anything for granted. 
like I said earlier, we run this campaign like we're 10 points down because we are running against a machine that is not going to give up power easily. They're going to fight us. They're going to attack us. And we are going to be as ready as any campaign has ever been for all of that. Are you thinking to to a, a council? They're going to be your partners in ensuring that you can implement the plans that you want to and to execute the policies that you had so um, articulately laid out. So do you are, are you looking to recruit any candidates for council or are you simply running your own race and seeing how that plays out and kind of following it tangentially? You know, we're certainly paying attention to what's happening all across the city and all across the state. I mean, there's important races, you know, up and down the the ticket. Um, but I think we have committed ourselves to running a different kind of campaign. You know, we, we don't want to owe anybody anything. We don't want anybody to owe us anything. We are trying to develop a different kind of partnership. I am absolutely committed to working with whoever's in leadership, whether it's a Republican governor in Annapolis, whether it's with our uh, state delegates and state senators representing us in uh, in the assembly, whether it's with the city council and and the central committees, we're going to work with everybody. Um, we, 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 that's just the kind of campaign we're running. That's the kind of person I am. Um, but we don't think the time for those partnerships to be forged is in the crucible of a political campaign. That's when political alliances are formed. That's when political allegiances are formed. I want people to get excited about ideas and about solutions. I think that there are people on the city council that would love our ideas about water equity, about e-cigarettes, about rebuilding infrastructure, about a pedestrian and bike plan, um, about all sorts of things from climate change to gun violence that are their priorities. And I think the way you really build durable partnerships is not by saying, you put me on your slate, I'll put you on mine, and we hope we both win. I think that's how politics is conducted. We really are trying to do something different here, Ryan. And, and I think that means finding common ground when it comes to ideas and solutions, not just for the purpose of getting elected on April 28th. I'm someone who certainly can appreciate narrative, who can appreciate uh, the David versus Goliath struggle, someone who is battling it against conventional wisdom, because personally, starting a a small t- media network here in in the state of Maryland and going up against people who shake their their fist or roll their eyes and say no this minor kid shouldn't be here i know what it's like to face the yeah. establishment i know what it's like to go up against people that uh don't think that you belong or just because uh you don't have this institutional experience that somehow you are disqualified so you know when i see a fellow disruptor it kind of attracts me to want to learn more and that's why i wanted you to come on to understand what uh to for for listeners to understand what you're all about people aren't finding out what you're all about clearly the polls indicate that and i see your trajectory only moving forward and in fact in a piece that i wrote yesterday on a minor detail.com i said theruvin naraja is the elizabeth warren of this race meaning that elizabeth warren seemingly has a plan for virtually everything. And you see that reflected on her national debate stage and uh, in her discussions in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina. And Theroux, I mean, I'm, I've am i read through every piece of content I could find on you, uh, starting with your website. And it's true, you do have a plan for almost every facet of 
Baltimore City. And people who put out their information is as transparent as you are. I give you a lot of credit. You are selling it. You are going out. You are bidding the pavement, and you are selling it. So, yeah. uh, go ahead, Ryan. I really, I really appreciate that. And look, this is what underdogs do. Um, and I have, in so many respects, been an underdog my whole career. There are plenty of people that were skeptical of whether or not a kid from a tough, you know, public high school. Uh, could make it in, you know, these amazing academic institutions that I had a chance to to go to. And there were plenty of people that were skeptical when I came back uh, with all of these fancy degrees, but was now trying to be a prosecutor in the tough, you know, trenches of Baltimore City, whether or not we could ever win a case. And there were plenty of people that said when we were creating a new unit, you know, was there any chance that this person who'd never tried a case in Baltimore City could, you know, develop and build a elite unit that would go after the worst criminals and the most violent gangs in Baltimore city. And we've proven people wrong over and over again. And there is something common to the formula. It's that you take nothing for granted. You work harder than everybody else and you bring a measure of honesty and transparency and integrity and authenticity that people can see. You know, Baltimore is a retail politics city. They want to meet their mayor. They want to look him in the eye. They want to assess for themselves the measure of that man or woman. And we are giving people as many opportunities and many occasions to see what we're made of. That's all I can do. And as long as people in Baltimore pay attention, and I think they're paying attention in some respects for the worst possible world reason, which is we have a profound crisis that is unfolding and they, it's, woke, it's waking everybody up. But as long as we run that kind of campaign, uh, this underdog campaign, you've seen it in sports teams, you've seen it in businesses, you've seen it in podcasts that everybody wrote off. All of a sudden, people aren't asking, can he win? They're asking the harder question, which is when he wins, what's he going to do? Can he actually deliver these pledges what does his crime pan look like compared to others? And if we are on that debate stage, if those are the conversations we're going to have, you know, I, I am really confident we're going to come out on top. Because as soon as you answer the question, can he win with yes, everybody starts paying attention and they start paying attention to things that you've looked at. And I think in that debate on any stage against anyone, uh, this campaign um, and this vision for Baltimore is going to be something that people all across the city get excited about. Well, I'm really excited for the next four months for exactly that reason. Six months ago, people were still asking, who is Theroux Vignaraja? What's his plan? Today, you are leading in the polls. You are the front and center candidate. You are ostensibly the front runner. You are maybe prohibitively, but still, that's what a the Gonzalez poll reflects. And look, I have to tell you, the Gonzalez poll has been a pretty good indicator of the uh, the times and has got has got a, its pulse on the Maryland community. It, it accurately predicted the Maryland gubernatorial race and several other races through. I really appreciate you spending an hour with me tonight. I know that you could be doing 10,000 other things right now to advance your campaign, but you chose to spend it with me, and I am forever and relentlessly grateful for your time. Um, check your, You're on the web at through2020.com, and you recently put out some commercials. I encourage people, to, if they want to learn more about you, check out your website and your social media. Um, 
best of luck to you as you you go forward. I hope you come back, and I'm hoping that uh, there'll, there'll be some upcoming debates and forums where we can uh, get to size up the candidates uh, one-on-one. So, uh, Ryan, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me on. I hope you'll have me on Anytime. at least once more before April and many, many times on uh, after we prevail. Through Vignaraja, I really appreciate your time tonight. Have a great week, and uh, yeah, come back again soon. You too. Have a good night. Thanks. Would you like to share your thoughts about the show? Please do. Maybe you loved it, or maybe not. Email me your feedback at ryan at a minordetail.com. Be sure to subscribe to A Minor Detail Podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Ryan Miner, and those are the details.